This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome to the program. It's another week of Hockey Central. Haley Salvian here with you for the next hour. Also with you on demand, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. That's Hockey Central at Sports at 960. Hope everyone had a lovely Halloween. I personally didn't do anything. I don't have children. Uh, I'm not of age to go trick-or-treating. And I certainly didn't do anything fun for Halloween. Uh, let's bring in Logan Gordon. He's here with me riding shotgun for the next hour. Logan, do you have anything like more exciting to share with people? Yesterday was Halloween. It was <laughs> Halloween weekend. I'm just here being like, no, I sat on my couch. I watched some football. I watched some... I watched some hockey. I didn't go anywhere. I did go to Bulk Barn yesterday Ooh. and took advantage. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I took a little walk. I <laughs> did a workout. This is my fun Halloween story. Did a little workout. Went for a walk to Bulk Barn because the Halloween candy was, was cheaper. And they also started putting out the Christmas stuff, which was great. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, that was my Halloween. I, I went to Bulk Barn and, and ate a bunch of Skittles and candy corn by myself last night. <laughs> Did you do anything? Uh, Bring my, up the mood. Bring yeah, up the mood. <laughs> I'd, lo- I'd love to tell you that mine was, was wildly exciting, but, um, no, I'm, I, I'm with you. I don't have kids, so I'm not in that mode yeah. or anything. And I mean, yeah, it's Halloween on a Monday, so for most of us, if anything exciting happened, it, it probably happened on the weekend. I was with you. I was just kind of, uh, you know, yeah, I was just kind of snacking on the um, the variety pack of candies that I got. Oh, yeah? Which one? What's the, your play? It's the one with all the, like, the Tootsie Rolls and the Suckers and everything. Those are, that's nice. the go-to. Yeah. I'm more of a candy. That's a smart move. Oh, yeah. It's the best. I do think they jacked the prices up, though, because... My Skittles were like $11 per, what is it, pound, kilogram? Oh. I don't know. I was like, that's kind of crazy. I mean, Skittles are pretty light, but I can I can get pretty expensive Inflation's pretty Inflation's getting crazy out there right now. <laughs> Even the Skittle should, market isn't safe. I know. I should have just gone to the dollar store. Do, are I you usually actually, a Halloween person? Like, are you no. you're not a costume or... No. No? No. I... <laughs> The best Halloween stuff that I have, like the best Halloween content, is all of my costumes when I was a kid. Uh, I, there's a picture in an old scrapbook of, you know, my one friend. She's like, you know, she's for like children. So this was probably wildly inappropriate. But one friend, she's like a devil. She's supposed to be like a sexy devil. Another girl is dressed as a witch. <laughs> <laughs> and they're looking cute. Their hair's done. Their makeup's done. And I'm standing there with a pair of like beat up New Balance sneakers, a black cloak, a staff, and like a Grim Reaper mask on. <laughs> just, just, just slightly so different got, vibes from Haley. Uh, just the a little vibes bit. We're way off, but they were like perfect at the same time. Like all of my girlfriends are dressed. Yeah, witch, a devil. I'm be a cat, and I'm. In a Grim Reaper costume. Um, <laughs> it's probably my favorite picture I have of me as a child. Uh, I've also gone as like an alligator. So, yeah. it was great. That's, I saw some of the good. Flames costumes. Some of them are pretty good. 
I didn't really know. Some of them I didn't really know what they were doing. We just got a note from the text line 96960 if you guys have any funny Halloween stories because Logan and I certainly didn't do anything. Obviously, my I peaked when I was dressed as the Grim Reaper when I was 12 years old. Uh, so if you guys have anything that you guys got up to, 96960, we got one message. Did you guys see the guys dressed up at the Flames game of the many faces of Daryl Sutter? I didn't see that. Somebody dressed up as Daryl in the crowd? This is news to me, too. I haven't. Oh, man. First, I'm going to have to look this up now. Yeah, I'm going to have to pull that. Someone's got to pull that up on Twitter. That's incredible. I saw some of the, like, the memes that were kind of like the, you know, the Spirit Halloween costume kits or whatever, and there was one for Daryl Sutter and, and stuff like that, but I didn't see that somebody dressed up as Daryl. Are you kidding me? That's incredible. Grumpy for the whole night. <laughs> you can't smile at all. Ah, uh, he's not that grumpy. That's really do a great. Lot of we love that. Though. Yeah, that's great. I love that. I love watching the the Halloween costumes. I love seeing the commitment to the bit. I feel like Blake Coleman always has some of the best costumes. I think I saw there was an NHL post about it. And uh, at one point when he was playing for the Devils, I think, I saw the picture on, on social media. He dressed up as a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader and his wife dressed up as a player for the New Jersey Devils. <laughs> and I love that. Like, it's so funny. Uh, I love seeing their personality and the creativity come out. Brady Kachuk has, you know, the commitment to doing the... the, the um. What is the he, Will he did them. Yeah, I almost said Will Smith. That was incorrect. <laughs> um, the Will Ferrell characters all the time. But anyways, Halloween was last night. Uh, my question for you, Logan, yes. and, and dear listeners, are you the one, like, it's November 1st now. Are you breaking out the Christmas stuff? Oh, I, you know, <laughs> I, I was that guy. I've been, I've been now. I, I'm my family on my dad's side. Um, has a lot of military service, so okay. I, I was never that big of a deal to me. But I've been sort of guilted the last couple of years into the, you know, hold off until after Remembrance Day. I okay. love Christmas. I I could go Christmas all year long. It's one of my favorite holidays. I love everything about it. Um, so I, I generally am now into Christmas mode. I'm starting to think about gifts and everything else, mm -hmm. but I'll, I'll try to hold off on any of the, the going too far on the decoration things until after Remembrance Day. I've sort of been, I've fallen into that the last couple of years, but I am, yes, I'm now very firmly focused on Christmas over the next couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I was at Bulk Barn, I picked up a, a, like a Christmas chai, <laughs> tea <laughs> so i'm getting there I'm, I'm moving into the christmas spirit i'm not going to decorate and stuff but i will definitely i love the coziness that comes with this time of year anyways i found do. the daryl setter costume i retweeted it on my twitter feed uh at Haley underscore salvian and yeah it's it's pretty great there's there's coach daryl player daryl um practice daryl and then there's a farmer daryl so it's pretty great uh, I retweeted that if you guys are listening and, and you didn't see that as well. So thanks for thanks for bringing it up for us. But this is Hockey Central. We'll move on from the Halloween and the and the Christmas talk because it's a Flames game day. Kind of buried the lead there. The Seattle Kraken are in town. Puck drop at uh, 7 o'clock Mountain, 9 o'clock Eastern. 12 games tonight. Oh, boy. Super fun. We love that. Um, let's go to the Atlas Pizza Hotline because it's time for the Tuesday Pat Chat. With 
DJ Powerplay, DJ Patty P. It's Pat Steinberg. <laughs> hey, Hello, Pat. Hello, friend. Hi. Hi, friend. I thought you had a. I thought you had a name for it. I call it the Tuesday Pat Chat. Oh, okay. I Did you not hear that? Else. Well, I heard that. I just thought you had something else for it. That's all. Would you like to rename your segment? No, I'm I'm perfectly fine with it having no name. Just hi, Pat. No, that works. No, that's really lame. We're not doing that. It's the t- <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a Tuesday Pat chat. I'm good. How are you? We were just talking I'm about good. Halloween and Christmas. Not the flames. Yes, I heard. Uh, I haven't. Yeah, you logged up, off uh, for Halloween uh, since I was about 12 years old. I dressed up as uh, Beavis. <laughs> from Beavis and Butthead. That was the last time I dressed up. I like I did it to the nines. I wore like I wore leggings and shorts and I had it all done up, but that's the last time uh that's the last time I dressed up, so that was a long time ago. Oh man. Yeah, I dressed up as the Grim Reaper. I don't know if you heard that. No, I did not hear that part. That was actually yesterday. <laughs> I just walked around the neighborhood in a Grim Reaper costume. Did you have the, the sickle? Yes. Oh yes. Well done. Well yeah. done. Yeah. No. So it's a, it's a game day. Seattle Kraken are in town, Pat. Um, we saw some new look lines at practice on Monday. It was looks like it was an optional skate today. Um, what what do you think? Are, are we going to see those new look lines? I know we got to wait till warm up, but where where are you leaning? I see it's going to be Dan Vladar versus Joey Decord tonight. Looks like Adam Rzichka yeah. is going to make his season debut. Um, so that means Kevin Rooney's coming out. Connor Mackey was skating with the extras as well. What what can you tell us from morning skating? What do you think? Are, are we going to see some some new looks in the forward group? I think so. I, I think we will at least to start the game. It's funny because really the Flames rolled with pretty much the same groups for most of last year. And mm-hmm. anytime they made any significant changes, Daryl went back to the old look pretty quickly. So mm-hmm. I wonder how long this lasts for. Like, I remember they broke up Lindholm, Gaudreau, and Kachuk last year, and literally they broke them up for, like, two periods. They were back yeah. together for mm-hmm. the third period that game. So I, I wonder if we see something like that, and I wonder if this is a, a pretty short-term thing. But it does look like what we saw Monday at practice with Huberto playing on a different line with Kadri and Mangiapane, and then Toffoli, Lucic, and Lindholm on a line. Dubé playing with Backlund and Coleman, and Adam Rzichka is for sure making his season debut against the Kraken tonight. I, I think that's the way they're going to start, and Rzichka between Lewis on the left and then Brett Ritchie on the right. I, I think that's what we're going to see, at least to start. I guess I'm just... I'm somewhat skeptical about how long they last in those formations. I'm not saying that everything reverts back to what we've seen for the first seven games. I just wonder how long Lucic stays with Lindholm and Toffoli, and does Dubé get a bump there? I wonder about that. I wonder if Lucic isn't better suited on a line with Backlund or a line uh, like he was with Richie and, and that group. So I'm, I'm curious as to how long they last for, but I do think that's the way they're going to start, and I'm okay with that. I mean... I I personally thought that there was reason to be patient with mm-hmm. the Toffoli Huberto Lindholm hookup and I thought that they had their best game of the season Saturday against Edmonton but just listening to Daryl Sutter speak after practice or after morning skate on Tuesday and even hearing him talk yesterday on Monday 
He wants more from his wingers, and he's looking mm-hmm. for more from his wingers. He's liked what he's gotten from Kadri. He's loved what he's gotten from Backland, and and he's been pretty complimentary of Lindholm's game, even though Elias has been really hard on himself. Daryl mm-hmm. has, has had lots of good to say about Lindholm's game, but it's the winger play that Daryl really wants to take a step forward, and that's the area where he feels his forward group needs to take the biggest step. So I think that's the biggest reason why we're seeing these changes, and... Mm-hmm. We'll see how long they last for, but I'm expecting that's the way they go. We'll find out in warm-up around 6.30 on Tuesday night, but I'm expecting that's the way they'll go to start, and then we see how long they end up lasting for overall. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because we heard from Daryl, you know, in training camp, right, when, you know, we, we see some of these lines, and, and the question that he was kind of talking about is, you know, is... Is Jonathan Huberto a Lindholm guy or is he a Kadri guy? Yep. And we're going to get our first look at, at maybe figuring that out with, with we saw at practice, Huberto, Kadri, Mangiapani. Uh, I agree with you. I don't know how long you're going to see Lucic with Lindholm and Toffoli. Maybe he adds that, you know, puck retrieval, get it out of the corner and, and into the guy's hands in the slot element um, to to the top six. We've seen the Flames try that in the past with, with Richie going up in the top six, et cetera. Um, but I'm curious, what do, what do you think? Do you think that Huberto might be more of a fit with Nazem Kadri, given that Kadri is really good at driving play and pushing the pace? And, and given the fact that, I don't know, is it such a simple thing as maybe Huberto wasn't used to playing with two guys who are right shots and, and Lindholm and Toffoli, you know, now he's got two guys who, who shoot left beside him? What do you think? Oh, I know that he said that going into the season. He talked about how he's never played on a line with two right shots before. Uh, mm-hmm. He's had a right shot, but he's never had two on his line before. And I know Jonathan mentioned that going into the season. And I do think, like... I get why fans are super excited about the potential of Manjapani, Huberdo, and, and Kadri all playing together as a line because Nazem's been great to start the year. His first seven games as a member of the Flames almost tied a franchise record for points to start a, uh, to start a season. He had a point streak of six games before it was finally broken against the Oilers on Saturday night. But mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I understand why there's a lot of excitement about the potential of that line because I look and I said, damn, that could be a really good line. I just wonder about the trickle down from there. And yeah. I, I just, I still think there's a lot about the Lindholm, Huberdo to Foley line that could work. And I saw a lot of encouraging signs from it on Saturday against the Oilers. Like that was by far Lindholm's best game of the season. If you go take a look at the uh, on-ice scoring chances, on-ice shot attempts, Lindholm was dominant against the Oilers at 5 on 5 and I know they don't win the hockey game, but it was Around 75% was uh, Lindholm's shot share when he was on the ice at 5-on-5 five five Saturday. And high-danger mm-hmm. scoring chances at natural statric were 7 nothing. And, and Huberdeau missed those three or four shifts in the first period. But as a line, Huberdeau, Toffoli, Lindholm were 70% shot share and 3 uh, nothing high-danger scoring chances. Mm-hmm. So they had themselves a really good night, even though they didn't end up scoring. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they put that line back together and, and if that's something that we see in the not-so-distant future. But at the same time, 
if you're looking to get a little bit more from your wing, from your wingers, if you're looking to get a little bit more offensive pop from Mangiapane, from Huberdo, even from Toffoli, maybe juggling things up can help doing that, uh, can help do that. So I, I am excited about that Kadri line if that's the way they go on Tuesday night because I think that's got a lot of potential. But I also still feel like the, the line Huberdo was playing on before had a lot of potential. I'm curious to see how this plays out. Mm-hmm. It's a good problem to have to have this many options, you know, <laughs> that Daryl Sutter can can shake things up in this way. I know a thing last year was, but doesn't it, you know, things were kind of. Uh, I guess sometimes I'm just like, were stuck last year though, right? Because they before Toffoli came in, I mean, there wasn't really anyone when they wanted to shake up the top line. Even if there were times when, you know, I know they were really great, but if there were times where Daryl wanted to shake things up, he didn't really have options to because he didn't have like definitive top six guys to just slot up there like having more options is a good thing uh i I don't know what were you gonna say pat well it doesn't it feel like they're still especially when they do something like this it feels like they are still in a position where they're maybe short a middle six or top six winger however and and this is not a knock on on milan at all top six is and and he's a he is great. He plays his role. He does his thing. He's had a great start to the season. But I do think yeah. that him being on the second line is is that example that we've talked about multiple times when you come on this show already, Pat. Is that they they're a, they're a top six, middle six winger short for having the perfect lineup. And every team wants to have three top six caliber left left shot wingers, right? Like yep. this isn't rocket science. Everybody wants that. That's like saying everybody want you know, the Flames need a number one defenseman. Um but I do think that that kind of highlights how, you know, they they you know, if Sonny Milano could have stuck, if he could have proven that he yep. is still a top 6 guy, you know, you you move him up to the second line in, instead of Milan Lucic. So I I I'm with you. I think that's that's an example of, you know, ugh, maybe they maybe they need something in that middle six. Well, and and maybe maybe it's as simple as as Dubé and and he mm-hmm. and Lucic flip flop at some point and uh, they they I know that Daryl and the coaching staff really like Backlund and Coleman together and I don't even see I don't even see that as a third line I know that when we no. tweet out lines they're, they're usually this, number this three run. no the, and and Backlund is leading the team in five on five ice time right now uh, amongst mm-hmm. forwards like he, yep. they they're not being used as a third line it's funny. Like remember how we always talked about uh, recreating Coleman, Gord, and and Goudreau from yeah, Tampa Bay. Sure. They weren't deployed as a third line in Tampa Bay. They were deployed like a, a number two line in terms of their minutes, and that's kind of what we're seeing from the backland line. Yeah. So they want to keep Backlund Coleman together. So I get putting Dubé there. Uh, I'm just I don't know. I don't know if this is the the perfect look for them. They're they're giving it a try. Looks like they're going to give it a try in game action. But yeah, I just I think that they're still looking for that that winger and Brad Treliving's been open about it how they're yep. looking and I don't think they need to go do it before the end of November or in the next week oh. like they can wait until the deadline and they're still yep. going to win lots of hockey games but it, it does kind of highlight that for them going into the postseason they, they probably are still short that that one guy Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm with you. And, and you're right. Michael Backlund and Blake Coleman are, are leading the team in terms of the forward group in five on five ice time. So, yep. you know, we can call them the third line, but they're certainly not deployed as the, the number three option for Daryl Sutter. The thing with Lucic going up to the second line is I liked the fourth line a lot. I know you want to get Razichka in, um, but I liked him on that fourth line. I thought, um, you know, the one play that he made in the Edmonton game, I mean, it was just such a 
great puck retrieval around the boards, kicks it out to the front of the net, and Brett Ritchie's right there. Connor McDavid loses the puck battle, and they score. Uh, I, that was the Edmonton game, I, I think. I'm a little fuzzy yep, brain right yep, now. Yeah, it was. Too much walking around the neighborhood in my... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a grim reaper brain. Yeah. Your brain's no. dead. I was on it. I was on. I was on. We're good. We're good. But that was a great play. I mean, that's what you want your fourth line to do. You want yeah. them to go out and, and make plays like that. So that's the one thing for me is it's not just the middle six, top six winger thing. It's just, I really liked the way that the fourth line looked. So we'll see how, how things look tonight. Well, is, that's um, been my argument all along, just quickly. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that yeah. was my argument all along for keeping Huberdeau, Lindholm, to Foley together, is that the other three lines seem to have found the their way. You keep your bottom six the way you want it, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which is why it wouldn't be crazy, or I, I don't think, well, I definitely won't be surprised if in the not-so-distant future they go back to the, the lines that we've seen for most of this season. Yeah, and that's probably because, again, yeah, the fourth line maybe isn't clicking the way you want it to, or things, you know, the quote-unquote bottom six isn't working as well as it was. So, I'm with you. We'll see. We'll see how long. We'll see at, at, at warm-ups if, if that's even what they end up looking like. We've seen Daryl do this before. We've seen different players in different spots and, and line shuffles, and then the game, the puck drops, and it's completely different. So, yep. we'll see what happens tonight against Seattle. What are you expecting tonight, Pat? You know, the Kraken have had an okay start to the season. They're, they're what, 4-4-2? Four, four and two. Um, you know, the Flames have obviously had a really good start. What are you looking for tonight between these two teams? Well, the, the, the Kraken have actually been a, a pretty solid team this year. Um, mm-hmm. they currently sit number four, uh, in terms of five on five possession through their 10 games so far. They, they seem to have been controlling a lot of play and, and more so they've done a really good job of limiting chances, limiting attempts, limiting shots against. They've been a pretty mm-hmm. stingy team in that regard so far this year. The goaltending still remains an issue and they're going to go Joey Decord in this one against the Flames, which is interesting. Um, but Grubauer's hurt, so they they don't have, you know, their goaltending options are not where they'd like them to be right now. But five on five, they've been a pretty solid team. They're number four in terms of shot against, uh, shot attempts against per 60 minutes. They are doing a really good job of limiting high danger scores. Opportunities. They mm-hmm. uh, sit near the top of the league in that regard. Uh, they just—they're a stingy team. They—they've done—they've done really good work in in dialing in that part of their game. And yeah, they—they they are a team that is not going to go out and, um, despite what we're seeing from Matty Beneers and, and how he's been plugged in yeah, and great. how well he's been, he's been great. And we, yeah. we saw him in his NHL debut, remember, mm-hmm. at the Saddledome, and instantly you're like, damn, this guy, yeah. this guy's ready. Um, yeah. So the, I don't think they're going to blow you away offensively, but their team game, Dave Haxtell, their head coach, seems to have them really dialed in on their team game. And if they can, if they can start to get some NHL average goaltending, and they got well below average goaltending last year on their way to missing the playoffs in their first year, if they can get NHL average goaltending from their platoon, and, and I know we're going to see Decord in this one tonight, he'll make his season debut, and, and when Grubauer comes back, you know, they're going to lean on him a lot, so we're, we're expecting Jones and Grubauer. Right now, mm-hmm. Jones is an 879, and Grubauer's an 860 in their 10 combined starts. Like, it's got to be better than that for them to make the playoffs, and Last year, it was everybody was under 900. Drieger was at 899. Grubauer was eight, at 889, and and Decord was even worse in his limited actions. So they need NHL average goaltending. Hell, they just yeah. need above 900 goaltending, and they might have an opportunity to stick around this playoff conversation.
conversation. That was the the number one thing that tanked them last year was how poor their goaltending yeah. was. I think if they had even NHL average goaltending, they would have been in the wild card conversation right to the very end because they do play a really committed team brand of hockey, and I think we're going to see that tonight. We'll see if they can get some saves. Mm-hmm. Joey Decord has uh, one win in his NHL career. That was with the Ottawa Senators in the 2020-21 season. And he's uh, he went 0-4 with the Kraken last season. And he has not played for the Kraken yet this year. So Joey Decord's going to make his season debut tonight against the Calgary Flames. And again, he has one win in his career. He's 14, 14 games played. So he's 11 starts. He's 1-8-1. So an opportunity for the Flames here against Joey Decord, who, as you said, Pat, he he has never posted uh, a 900 save percentage, and uh, yep. it's very limited. He has 14 games, but in the three seasons where Joey Decord has got some games, he he's been sub 900 to start. So yeah. we'll see. Matty Benier, I'm I'm excited to watch Matty Beniers again. I, I mean, he got his first NHL point against the Calgary Flames in his NHL debut last season, and he's just had a great start to the year. Four goals, eight points in his first ten games. I put him down as my way too early season kind of Calder guy, and that's not even I, I don't even look smart. That that was the kind of obvious <laughs> choice. That wasn't like a whoa, Haley's so smart. She picked Maddie Beneers. It seemed like the it's kind of a, obvious pick. Eight points in ten games, and yeah. and he's dynamic. And I just I, that, that first in person viewing of him last year, you're like, holy, this guy can shoot it. He's confident. He he uh, he, he makes like moves. He looked like he belongs right away. Exactly, and he looked mm-hmm. not only did he look like he belonged, he looked like he was a high level NHLer and mm-hmm. belonged in that category. He was doing things that guys who have been in this league for five and six years do, and maybe take him a little bit of time to get that confidence to do. He uh, he's a lot of fun to watch, and I'm I'm excited to see I'm excited to see him in person again. And you know I know there's some conversation going on about Shane Wright and what's going to happen there, um, and whether or not they're going to keep him or send him back to the Ontario League. But mm-hmm. their other their other rookie has been really really strong and yeah I mean I I get it like I, I'm with you I think that he's probably him I, I know you're uh, you're you're a big Shane Pinto guy you've been talking about him for a long time years, he's off to a Pat, really nice years I, and I want to give you credit you have been <laughs> like you've you. been like you've been like hey yeah. don't. Don't the the Senators will not give the Flames Pinto for Matthew Kachuk if they're yeah. going to try and which again was everybody's oh you got to reunite Brady and Matthew <laughs> yeah. Kachuk and people um, like give like, us Shane Pinto I'm like yeah they're not doing that they're not going to do that and he's off he's to so a really good. good start too but I think yeah. Beniers is probably your front runner right now mm-hmm. yeah you got to wonder what Pinto would have done you know if he didn't get hurt last season like would he have been kind of a front runner last year and what would Shane Pinto look like this year if he could build off of a full NHL season last year, but yeah, I wrote a story about him when he had he had a great rookie year at University of North Dakota, and all of a sudden everyone went from being like, "Why the hell did the Ottawa Senators draft this guy?" to "Oh, is he yep. going to sign? Is he going to sign?" It was just the the biggest 180 because they Bobby Brink was on the board still, I think Kaliev was on the board still, and the Sens go down and, and they kind of go quote unquote off the board and get Shane Pinto, and the reviews were quite negative. And man, he's been lights out. He's got a great shot, really good. Like, two-way guy. I'm a big Shane Pinto fan, so thank you, Pat. Um, You're welcome. But, Pat, you are a double threat. You know, speaking of good two-way guy, you're a double, you're a double threat. You write, too. You had a story come out on Flames Nation. That was a great segue, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> I can put sentences together. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I do it on the radio. 
Um, and so do you. But you had a story on Flames Nation, three areas the Flames can expect improvement in going forward. You know, we were talking about the Kraken. We're moving back to Calgary. They've obviously had a good start. Five and two. It's one of their best starts in franchise history. The positives have outweighed the negatives, Pat. But there is some stuff that yep. is still expected. Can you just take us through? We've got a couple more minutes left with you. Can you take us through like those three kind of key areas that you went into? And again, if you guys are listening and you want to read the story, it's on, on Flames Nation. Yeah, and, and I'm, one of them was the the line of Huberdo to Foley and Lindholm. So we'll see we'll see how that how that plays itself out, and uh, over the next couple of weeks, how much those three play together. Because mm-hmm. we're we're not even sure if they're going to play together in this game tonight. But you know, we we can expect Rasmus Anderson and Noah Hannafin to play together, and they were so good for the team last year, and they were such an important part of how deep their blue line was, and they just haven't been quite as on it to start the year. And and Noah was uh, battling something in the early stages of the year. It looks like that's behind him. But I think that contributed, and he obviously missed that one game. But even talking to Rasmus uh, last week, and he he was very quick to admit that he finds that he's spending too much time in the defensive zone, and he doesn't like his five-on-five game. And just you know, for, for a pairing that did as much in Calgary's transition game and did as much in keeping the puck at the right end of the ice as they did last year. They've they've spent too much time for their standards on the back foot. And I think both Rasmus and Noah would be the first to say it. Now I'm not worried about it because they're they're two dynamite defensemen and they make a really good pairing. They weren't one of the two or three best pairings in the NHL last year by fluke and only one pairing in the NHL has spent more time together at five on five since the beginning of last year and that's the Truba Miller pairing in mm-hmm. in New York. Otherwise right. it's been Anderson, like this is one of the most frequent pairings on the planet right now. Uh, so I, I think that they will figure it out, and, and I do think they'll get back to where they were. That's why I say, you know, do the Flames need improvement? Yes, but they can also expect pretty solid improvement from that pairing. And then, and then the other was just Markstrom. Right. And I think that he, look, I, we, we talked at length about the game tying goal on Saturday on yesterday's Flames talk. I, I do not put that any way, shape, or form on Jacob. I think that was, uh, poor coverage play by the Flames. And I know that Markstrom has let in, uh, a few suspect ones so far this year, but that one was not, uh, not one of them. There was a big time narrative coming out of Saturday's game that Jacob lost him that game. I call uh, I call foul on that. I don't yeah. think he did. I thought he was really strong against the Oilers, and I thought he was really good against Pittsburgh. So, look, mm-hmm. he did not get off to the first four or five games the start that he wanted, but it looks like that's starting to round into form as well. And I think you can expect a, a Jacob Markstrom that looks a whole lot more like the Vesna Trophy runner-up last year as as we move into November. So those are those are a few areas. And the only the only other thing that I, I just wanted to highlight quickly was. How good Calgary's penalty kill has oh, been so that was my far this year? Question, Pat. Okay, okay. Then you said we only have a few minutes, so so ask the question <laughs> and then I'll answer for you. Well, I just no, no. I never want to steal you for too long, but also you can stay as long as you want. So I was like, we got a couple more minutes, but if you keep talking, it's fine. You can stay. You can stay. I just, I just. But no, think I know you want to talk about the PK and, and it looks great. So go off. The, Take the mic. I know they've allowed five goals so far, but I don't think that tells the story in just how strong their details have been on the penalty kills so far. Uh, mm-hmm. Nobody is... nobody. 
kind of across the board in terms of suppressing attempts, suppressing entries, suppressing shots, and suppressing scoring chances. Nobody is doing it on as high a level as the Flames are. Like there, there are some teams that are doing some areas really good, but the Flames have turned themselves into over the last number of years since Ryan Huska got here and joined the Flames staff for the 18-19 season. They have mm-hmm. gradually become a higher and higher and higher end PK. And I think yeah. what we saw last year where they were one of the best in the league was the start and I just kind of feel like they've taken another step this year because they've rolled over so many guys on this PK Backlund, Lindholm, Coleman, Tanev like they've rolled over a number of key guys Lewis, they're instituting some new faces as well but it's just the what they've done on the penalty kill this year they make it so difficult to game the zone and they do a great job of not allowing those really high quality chances again they're one of the best teams in suppressing slot chances on the penalty kill and blocking shots and boxing out and and making teams keep possession in the zone but maybe not get a lot of shots or attempts because they just can't find lanes with all the good stick details the flames have had i just i know statistically they're a top 10 penalty kill i just don't know if statistically that tells the story of how good they've been because they've honestly been one of the two or three best penalty kills on in the league so far this year and and i don't think that's changing i I think that's something that they're gonna have as as kind of a foundational piece for the rest of the year Mm-hmm. It was around this time last year, um, you know, it was in that, that Pittsburgh game. It was that, that road trip that I went on. And I remember talking to Ryan Huska about the penalty kill after that because they, they had, um, I think they went like 16 for 17 on the PK. Yeah, 16 for 16 of 17 on the penalty kill in their last five games. You know, they let in two goals in the, the season opener against Edmonton, whatever, but there was that five-game stretch where the PK was just lights out, and I did a deep dive on the penalty kill last season. Like, it was basically a year ago today that I was diving into the PK because it was such an important piece of, of the Flames' early goings, and, and we're seeing that again this season for sure. It's It's... Ryan Huska has a really good vision for it. They've got the right personnel. Look, Backland and Lindholm might be the best over the boards forward penalty killing pairing on uh, on the planet or in the mm-hmm. league right now. Like, name a better yeah. pairing that goes over the boards first than than those two at forward. They're they're both like they were both engineered to kill penalties. It feels mm-hmm. like and and Tanev Tanev is the the most important guy outside of the goaltender. Nobody's more important than Tanev to me on that penalty kill and again like a guy who is engineered to do it you just take a look at all the subtle plays that he makes to help facilitate a clear or an exit um some of the the patient he's plays so incredibly he, detailed well and and he makes it look like he has all the time in the world but in reality he's under pressure from two guys and he's got mm-hmm. a split second but just those extra those extra pauses that he'll go an extra tenth or two tenths of a second with the puck on his stick as opposed to panicking he'll wait for an outlet to develop and then backhand it into the slot and then it gets a clear as opposed to kind of blindly throwing it on the backhand off the boards and you know maybe you got a 50% clear rate but there's a good chance it stays in whereas if he goes backhand to the slot and waits that extra second or two or, or tenth of a second or two and gets it to a teammate that's going to 
absolutely clear at 200 feet. It, it just mm-hmm. makes that much difference. So he's he's the biggest key, and I just every time I watch him, I, I get more impressed by what Tanev does in the penalty kill. And then they've got some really good personnel. Zadorov's coming along. Anderson Hannafin have have done a decent job there. And and yeah, whether it's Lindholm or Backlund or Coleman or Lewis, uh, Manjapani's really starting to come into his own. They, they've got some they've got some good and personnel that really fit the way that Ryan Huska wants this thing to run. Mm-hmm. Yep, the forward duos are, are a big thing, and, and we know that they consistently roll out their, their kind of pairs. And, and Chris Tanna, by the way, is top 10 in the league in, in shorthanded time on ice uh, per game played. So we know that he's used a lot. He's just so valuable in so many ways. His stick details, his spatial awareness, he can close yep. gaps. Um, he, he's got a good stick. He can poke check. He can lit the stick. He boxes out. Like Chris Tanev. I don't think gets enough respect, maybe outside of Calgary. We know that the coach and his teammates respect and, and value everything that he does, but he's one of those guys that people don't pay attention to enough, and I think we saw it last year in the yep. playoffs. How like It was one of those things where you don't realize what you're missing until he's not there, and it was like, oh, God. He, it, he was like this sweet, sweet safety net. You know, <laughs> Anytime something bad would happen, it was fine because Chris Tanner was there to, yep. to take care of it, but that's all the time. We have Pat. Thank you. Bye, friend. This is a Tuesday Pat chat. Thank you. Talk soon. Bye. There goes Pat Steinberg on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline. Chat brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, the 14-time Consumer Choice Award winner. For takeout or delivery, call 403-248-3344 or dine in at Atlas Pizza, 6060 Memorial Drive, Northeast. Listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, the fan. Welcome back to the program. We're going to go right to the Atlas Pizza Hotline again. It's a busy show. Bringing all, bringing all my friends on. We've got Ryan Clark from ESPN joining the show. Ryan, how are you? Good. How are you doing this afternoon, Haley? You know what? I've been better, so I made the the foolish uh, mistake of of trying to like eat a little snack during the the five minute break I had here, and it went down the wrong way. And I spent the last five minutes like coughing and trying to get my my life in order. Uh, so it's so not that great. is not the most Haley Salvian story imaginable. <laughs> I don't know what is. My my technical producer here, Andrew, is just like watching me through the screen, like you know, choking and sneezing and coughing, and and I'm getting the countdown in my ear, like yeah, we're back in thirty, and I'm like yeah, uh huh, yeah, we're good, I'm, like crying. So yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. All right, so it's a Flames game day. This is uh, Sports at nine sixty in Calgary. So we've been spent the last little bit with Pat Steinberg, kind of teeing up the matchup. You know, you are a national reporter with ESPN now, and congratulations. I know I've said that to you in person and personally, but congratulations on, on this this new position. But you did spend last year covering the Seattle Kraken, so I do want to kick off with you. Is You know, the Kraken are off to a good start to the season, 4-4-2. Four, four and two. What, What's been different in what you've seen from the Kraken this season, maybe versus their, their first year? 
Sure. Well, for starters, thank you, and also congrats to you and your glow. But we'll go ahead and start talking about hockey before people go, oh, my God, let me turn this off. But in all seriousness, with the No, Kraken, I spent like 20 couple... minutes off the top talking about like the Halloween costume I wore when I was 11, so it's fine. You're good. You've got time. <gasps> all right, then, but going back to Kraken, <laughs> when you look at sort of what has changed with this team, you can point towards the fact that there's there's a couple things. One of them being, you look at just the introduction of what someone like Andre Burakovsky and Oliver Bjorkstrand bring. Mm-hmm. Those are two forwards that just weren't on this team last year. Right now, Burakovsky is tied for second and scoring eight points through ten games. Bjorkstrand four points through ten games. But it's not just the offensive contribution. It is the forechecking. Those who've been playing on a line with Alex Winberg. And it's led to this line that gives them, yes, offensive firepower, but also it's a defensive approach that they're able to take. So you look at the last game they played against the Pittsburgh Penguins, there was a sequence where the forecheck that those three had was so aggressive that, like, it's exactly what you want if you're Dave Haxtell and the Kraken, where you're able to sort of turn that into you not only getting possession, but going in the other direction and coming up with several scoring chances, if not scoring goals. Another thing, of course, is Matty Veneers. The reality is that, like, Matty Veneers was drafted with the expectation that he could be a top-six center. As a rookie, he is a top-line center, eight mm-hmm. points, ten games. He's playing 17-39 a night. That's one of the highest uh, times of ice for, for a forward on the Kraken this year. I mean, he is doing everything that you want them, you would want, including he leads that team in power play ice time. But then you think about the contributions of someone like Jaden Schwartz, who's at a point per game. And, again, what you're seeing is you're seeing a team that's scoring – you're seeing a team that's defending, but of course, one of the big questions is goaltending, which that was one of the questions last year as well. Mm-hmm. Right, and it looks like we're going to see Joey Decord in net for the Seattle Kraken tonight against Calgary Flames, and he only has one career win. He's he's yet to win a game with Seattle, so we'll see. We'll see how the goaltending stacks up. You know, but I want to stick with Maddie Beniers with you, Ryan, for for a minute because you had a really great. Uh, story out on ESPN last week, the NHL rookie rankings. I assume this is going to be a regular piece for you, and, and it's awesome. It's basically like our low-key way of tracking who's the most important rookie, who's going to win the Calder. And in week one, yeah, it's, it's Matty Beniers off the top, and we've got Jake Sanderson from Ottawa, Logan Thompson in Vegas, Shane Pinto. There's a ton of, of rookies making an impact early on in, in the league so far. W- which ones really stand out to you the most um, maybe instead of or as well as somebody like Matty Beniers? Well, kind of going what you just said, you look at someone like Jake Sanderson. I mean, he is doing a lot for the Ottawa Senators. I mean, we think about Jake Sanderson and the conversations typically around his ability to move the puck, but mm-hmm. he is playing top four minutes. He's on the penalty kill. He's on the power play. He's doing a bunch of things. Shane Pinto is the one that you look at and you think, is he kind of sort of the wild card in all this in that Yes, everyone's looking at what he's doing. I mean, he is doing a lot for that team. But when you look at Josh Norris being out long-term, are you talking about someone who could work their way into getting more ice time, getting a more prominent role? And if so, what does he do with it? Logan Thompson, which I know we're going to talk about the Golden Knights here shortly, so we'll kind of save his importance here for for that Mm -hmm. segment. But at the same time, what he's done has been – it's been pivotal to why that team has gotten off to such a hot start. But someone that, again, we've also brought up, too, has been Caden Gooley. I mean, yes, yeah. the conversation with the Montreal Canadiens has been this is a young team. 
They they're they're putting their young guys out there. They're letting them get a feel for it. But when you look at Caden Gooley, there really isn't anything that he can't do for that team. Whether it's him, whether it's Jordan Harris, whether it's Arbor uh, Jake Hodge, like it it really mm-hmm. doesn't. Jonathan Kovacevic, it doesn't matter. Like these are all four defensemen that do a lot of things for that team. But when you look at the role that someone like Gooley plays, it's a lot of heavy lifting, and it's done with the idea of. There's what he's doing this year, but think about what he could be a year, two, three years from now. And you're talking about someone who could easily be one of the better defensemen in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm a big Shane Pinto fan. We were talking about this when Pat Steinberg was on. Uh, you know, I wrote a story when I was in Ottawa about him. I mean, the, the thing that's crazy or impressive, and we, we see this a lot, I mean, but it wasn't until Shane Pinto was 15 years old that he, you know, even started taking hockey seriously. Like, he told me when I wrote this story when he was still at University of North Dakota the year he won the NCHC uh, Rookie of the Year, and he led North Dakota in scoring. They're one of the best teams in, in the NCAA. <laughs> Until he was 15, this guy dreamed of playing for the Philadelphia Phillies. And, you know, just so quickly he, he changes gear and now he's, you know, a great middle six center for the Ottawa Senators. So he's been a really fun player to, to watch come up. So I like the rookie watch. I like the Montreal Canadiens this year. Like they're the, they're the really fun bad team. Even though they're still winning some games, but like they're the most fun bad team to watch right now. Well, but when you look at them and you look at, let's say, other teams that have struggled, the reality of it is this. There are teams that have struggled because at one point in time they were in a position to win. All of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but over time, of course, the roster gets older, players get more expensive, you're not drafting as high, and sort of the demise are things that you could kind of see coming. Whereas if, like, you look at the Canadians and where they're at right now, they're kind of at that point where it's like, are they a team that's maybe not expected to, to get a playoff spot? Yes. But at the same time, are they a team that has a lot of young pieces that are either playing in the NHL, AHL, or still developing elsewhere that makes people wonder what they could be in a few years? Absolutely. You take that. You take what Martin Saint-Louis has done. You take the fact that there are other young players there like Nick Suzuki, Cole Confield, that, that, they, that they've shown people, hey, this is what the future could be. It makes for a promising time, but also, like, if you're the Canadians, you're looking at what you're going through right now and saying, is this going to be the thing that in two or three years makes you better? Because we talk so much about the R word rebuilding in in this league, Mm -hmm. and there's a reason why. Like, yes, we look at the Colorados and New Yorks of the world, and, and those are the teams that are proof, but then you go a little bit further down the road. Like, the L.A. Kings are an example of a team that has gone through this that you look at where they are now, where they used to be and where they could be, and maybe is this the team that competes for, for later down the road. But, again, you're talking about doing it in a league where it's like anything, patience only lasts for, for so long, and, and even then there better be an end product, and if there isn't, people start wondering, when do you hit the reset button? Mm-hmm. So one of the other stories that you had, Ryan, was about the Vegas Golden Knights. Again, this is on ESPN.com from Ryan, who's one of the new national writers at ESPN, he's he's with us here on the Alice Pizza Guest Hotline, was about the Vegas Golden Knights and kind of looking at, you know, can they return to contention? And, and it is still early, and we know that injuries are a thing that people are looking at with this team. You know, if they can stay healthy, they can do it. Um, but they, they've had a great start to the season. Ryan, what have you seen from Vegas and, and how they're kind of putting this together, and what's a realistic expectation this season? 
In terms of what they've done to put it together, it's a few things. The first is they just score and they score a lot and they get offensive contributions, which is the thought of what that team is going to be. I mean, Jack Eichel's 10 points, 10 games. Chandler Stevenson, look, again, we talk so much about second-line centers, and Chandler Stevenson has not only won that role, but he has eight points in 10 games. He, Mark Stone, and Jonathan Marcheseau are all on a three-way tie for for second in scoring Mm -hmm. with that team. But then you look at the contributions from Shea Theodore, Alex Petrangelo, Braden McNabb, Zach Whitecloud. I mean, you know this by looking at a team like the Calgary Flames and the Colorado Avalanche and, and others as well. You want to see a successful team, well, then look at what contributions they get from their defensemen. If you can get four defensemen who are able to give you upwards of 20 points a season, that's going to put you in a position to succeed. But then let's go back to what we talked about with with Logan Thompson and goaltending. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're, of course, seeing that the league, this is one of tandems, unless, again, you have someone like a a, a Hellebuck or Andre Vasilevsky who can play you but more than 60 games a season. But what Logan Thompson and Aiden Hill have done so far, all they've done is go 8-2 and two with a combined 1.7 goals against yeah. .941 saves percentage. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Uh, that, 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 that'll play. That'll definitely yeah. play. But with Logan Thompson, I mean, you're talking about someone who is a rookie, who has gone 4-2, whose goals against is 169, who whose save percentage is .943. And, and you're looking at someone with him in that he is exactly what teams are looking for, and not only a rookie contributor, but a rookie contributor on a cheap contract. So when we look at the team like the Golden Knights and ask, like, how are they able to make it work, that's just it. It's having guys like Logan Thompson on these cheap contracts perform in such a big way. That makes it so important. But then it's the other thing, too. You look at the Knights, you look at their defensive structure, and that's one of the reasons why Bruce Cassidy coming there was thought to be such a big deal for that team. Is like You're looking at a team that like right now they've only given up 17 goals against. That's, I believe, the fewest in the NHL. In fact, it is the fewest in the NHL. No one else is still in the teams. Their mm-hmm. goal differential is a plus 15. That's second in the league only to the Bruins. And, again, when you can have that cohesion, it's huge. Now, yes, it is just 10 games. A lot can change. But if you are looking at what the Golden Knights have done through 10 games, this is why the expectation in that market is this should be a team that should only get to the playoffs but really has the opportunity to potentially win it all or come close. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. I know we didn't have a ton of time with you, but thank you. That was a great look around, you know, the, the matchup tonight and, and just the, the Pacific Division because that's where the Flames reside. So thank you so much for, no for the insight. Thanks for having me. All right. There he goes, Ryan Clark on the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline. Just a reminder that chat was brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, the 14-time Consumer Choice Award winner. For takeout or delivery, call 403-248-3344 or dine in at Atlas Pizza, 6060 Memorial Drive, Northeast. That's all the time we have today. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Hockey Central on Sports at 960.